and to pray and I can't believe I fell asleep. Why did he tell me to put my sword away? I could have bought some time for him to escape. I didn't do enough. He told me he had to drink the cup that his father gave him. But what did that mean? I just don't understand. He said he was going to the father, but not like this though, surely. My chest feels tight. I just need to get out of here. But what about Jesus? What are they going to do to him? I just don't know. It was in that moment that the girl who kept um, watch on the door approached Peter. Aren't you one of them, she said, one of the disciples? Peter's heart leapt from his chest. No, I don't know this man that you speak about. We know the story well. John 18 is the trial of Jesus. In a week that leads up to his death on the cross. And Peter, one of his closest disciples, disowns him in his hour of need. Not only did Peter bear witness to the miracles that Jesus did, have, I was going to say backstage access, he had access to the Jesus behind his public ministry, who also saw him transform into his full glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, yet failed to grasp what Jesus was doing. He said to him, I'll lay down my life for you, the words recorded in John 13, 36. But Jesus knew. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So today's message is kind of an overview um, of John 18. We're going to go a bit old school today, and if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to be using them. Um, Yeah, yeah. so I think it's a good practice to, to do in church, actually, just to open our Bibles together. But... I really want to focus our attention today on the conversation towards the end of um, John 18 into John 19 between Jesus and Pilate. Now the trial of Jesus is all about the victory of God's kingdom over the kingdoms of this world. The author of the gospel, John, has, has slowly but surely built us up to this climactic ending that we bear witness to in the last few chapters of John. All that has gone before is connected into the capture, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And like the threads of a rope, they're slowly being tied together to form a single cord. The story of Peter's denial is, is, is woven into this, this drama that appears towards the end of John. Um, Jesus is before the high priest. He is um, in Jerusalem. And there are, there are two separate trials in a way. There's the, the trial before the Jewish courts and there's the trial before the Roman governor Pilate. It was during the festival of Passover where the Jews were celebrating their, their release from slavery from the Egyptians. That Jesus was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. And John overlaps these two stories. He overlaps the, the celebration of the Passover and the, the, the capture and the crucifixion of Jesus. And he purposefully does this to make a statement that Jesus, by his death, was releasing people from a different type of slavery. Instead, this time, it wasn't just his chosen nation of Israel, it was everyone. It was all people were being drawn to God. God was calling all people to himself, like it says in John 12, 32. This renewal and redefinition of the Passover 
is key to our understanding of the gospel. Because the gospel ultimately is a message of freedom and liberation. Belief in the gospel as a message of freedom and liberation, it releases us from sin. The slavery of sin. We are released from the slavery of sin into relationship with God. See, prior to the authorities capturing Jesus in John 18, the chief of priests and the Pharisees had gathered um, to plan to kill Jesus in John 11. So if you could turn with me to John 11. John 11, 45 to 57. It says this, that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had um, seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Jesus had gone. So the chief of priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for one man that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this out of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. The council, I try not to say council, council, I say it properly. Um, The council appeared to be genuinely anxious about Jesus. For them, he was a direct threat to their authority and their their whole belief system. Because they just did not recognise him as their Messiah. Even though all of their scriptures point towards this Messiah coming, they did not see it that way. By leading people away from the temple and reworking the law, like, he did in the, like Jesus did in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus could be put to death with a charge that would stick. If you turn to Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 13, 1-5, it says this, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God with fear and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave um, the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So the Jews had a charge against Jesus that would stick. They had something that they could hold against Jesus to prove that he was a blasphemer. They had all the evidence they needed And it was just the case of convincing the Roman authorities. So towards the beginning of John 19, it becomes clear that the high priests were willing to go to any lengths to ensure that Jesus was put to death. John 19.15 says that we have no king but Caesar, were their cries. This symbolises a complete betrayal of their heritage. They knew that Pilate could not be seen to uh, reject such a claim. 
So Pilate, in the trial of Jesus, appears unsure. He needs a bit of convincing. The relationship between the Jews and the Romans at that time was a bit of a funny one. So the Jews were able to, the Jewish, um, the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were all allowed to operate under one condition. And that condition was that they prayed for the emperor, Caesar. So, that, so they were allowed to govern themselves. They were allowed to have their own courts. They were allowed to have their own, their own law. And only if they recognized Caesar and prayed for Caesar. In other words, they were um, they were a bit they were a bit sneaky because they could um, they knew that they could hold Jesus accountable to this to this charge that he had broken in Deuteronomy, and it, and all they needed to do was it was just convince Pilate. However, crucifying someone was reserved for crimes against the state, so they had to convince. Pilate that Jesus was a rebel against the state. Caesar was, was the only one who could um, hold the title of the son of God, you know, because the Caesar was, 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 was like a deity. He was like a god to the Roman Empire. And his title, he was known as the son of God. So if, it, if someone comes along claiming to be the son of God, it is in um, complete opposition. So in a way, as the trial begins in John 18... Um, Jesus is taken to the high priest and the high priest um, they take they, there's two high priests that they, he's taken to then he's taken to Pilate Pilate sends him to Herod to get a second opinion so to speak and when Jesus comes back you know Pilate is in a position where if you read it he's in and out he's, he's not sure he has a conversation with Jesus then he's back out to the crowd goes back in back out and it's, it's obviously a difficult decision to make because crucifixion was a powerful symbol throughout the Roman world it was reserved for the worst of criminals it was it was there to bring maximum humiliation and it said loud and clear that we are in charge and that's why you get um you've got um so when Jesus is crucified well, later on in John 19, where, they, where Pilate gives, him, gives the Jews a choice between Jesus or um, Barabbas. It's, it's, quite, you know, it's quite a profound thing because crucifixion wasn't just like a light kind of um, punishment. You see that they flogged Jesus and they beat him and as if you know, that was going to appease the, the Jews, but it didn't. They wanted Jesus to die. There is something going on, however, between, in the conversation between Jesus and Pilate that forms a vital strand in the overall picture of the crucifixion and the resurrection. We have seen that Jesus is being judged according to the reigning kingdom at that time, the Roman Empire. His claim to be the son of God were in direct opposition to the man at the top, Julius Caesar. I was tempted to say the Roman Giza, but I don't. I'm a, I did say it, sorry. His claims to be the son of God were in direct opposition. And this was, such, this was something that they could not ignore. However, God's kingdom has the ultimate victory. If you can turn to John 18, 28 to 40. Um, I'm going to be spending a little bit of time there. Jesus says to Pilate that my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Unlike Caesar, Jesus' kingdom is not the type that grows in this world. 
whilst Jesus' kingdom is for this world, it isn't from this world. It comes from another place. The kingdom of God comes from above. It comes from the creator, God himself. And if we rewind a little bit back to John 1, we see that the world wasn't ready to receive it. He says that in John 1, 10 to 11, it says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. You see, the, king, the, the key is this, that Jesus' kingdom was not the regular sort of kingdom. It was not like the kingdoms we see being built on earth. It isn't built by war, exploitation, greed, injustice. Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. The difference is obvious. Caesar's kingdoms, kingdom and all other earthly kingdoms make progress by making claims to authority by, for, by a force and assertion of power. In other words, like we see in our world today, people just... You roll in the tanks, you, you bring in the soldiers, you bring in the bombs and the destruction. But Jesus' kingdom, or what Tom Wright calls it, is God's kingdom enacted through Jesus, moves forward with a completely different weapon. And that's truth. You see, Jesus' kingdom is built on truth. Verse um, 18, uh, John eighteen thirty seven onwards says, Pilate said, so you're a king. And Jesus responded, you say that I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate says, what is truth? And I think that question, right, is significant. What is truth? I'm not about to dive off into... um, some sort of sociological or psychological definition of truth, because scripture defines what truth is. Jesus defines what truth is. The point about truth and about Jesus and his followers bearing witness to it is that truth is what happens when humans reflect God's wise ordering of the world and shine light into the dark places of this world. You see, the message of the kingdom of God is one of freedom and liberation. The restoration of human value as image bearers of God happens when we reflect the way that God has designed us to be and the way that God operates in this world and the way that God moves forward by his kingdom. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, relationship is restored between God and man. What sin took away, Jesus gives back. You see, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. You've got the law that people, that the Jews, um, they did their hardest to fulfill. And I think the Pharisees get a bit of a bad press because actually they were guys who, um, who loved the law. They loved God's word, you see. But they didn't understand the main point of it. That it actually pointed towards this Messiah and this Saviour that, that they witnessed in Jesus. So when Jesus was making claims to be the Son of God, not only were they kind of like, they saw him as a blasphemer, but they just didn't see the truth. So when they dragged him before Pilate and the Roman, Roman uh, 
you know, Roman authorities, they were just angry and they wanted him gone. We are called to reflect God's kingdom into this world. You see, we, we come to church, might attend a life group, might, you know, come to prayer meetings, which are amazing, but, but we are to reflect God's kingdom back into the world. And a lot of the time when we become, when, certainly when I became a Christian, the first thing I did was I cut off all my non-Christian friends and I just started hanging around with Christians and started going to church all the time, doing church things all the time, which is amazing, but you don't actually get outside of that. And, the mission, and God's kingdom is outward, right? It's not confined to the four walls. It's not confined to the prayer meeting. It's not confined to the life group. God's kingdom is outward facing. And the truth of God's kingdom, I think, when, when Jesus stood up at the beginning of his ministry, if you turn to Luke four eighteen to 19, Jesus stands up in the synagogue right at the beginning of his public ministry, Right? It says that Jesus received a scroll, he unraveled the scroll, and he said this, from words from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. As Jesus announced the kingdom of God, he announced a set of principles that we are to reflect back into this world. The message of Jesus' kingdom is one of restoration, of redeeming love. Like we we sing, we sing about it all the time, right? But actually, when, when we put these things into practice, when we practice loving people in a way that is redeeming, that we reflect that onto other people, that we look, maybe it means looking beyond what someone's doing with their life, but we we are called just to love people and love people in a way that reflects God's view. As we reflect the kingdom of God, we reflect God's wise order for this world. We are reflecting the way that God wants it to be. It's not made up because it's like all lovely and it's amazing, we just like to love people. We're reflecting something of God onto others. This is the kingdom of God. This is what the Jewish and Roman authorities were rejecting. Yes, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and his, all the claims he made to be, about being the way, the truth and the life, all the, all the miracles that they witnessed him do. Yes, they were rejecting all of that. But ultimately, they were rejecting the message that he carried. The trial of Jesus marks the complete and wholesome rejection of God's kingdom and God's message to the world. You see, kingdoms of this world make their own truth. And we, are, we witness that in, as soon as you turn on the news and you see the wars and stuff like that. People are able to define what is true. They are able to, to, to make up what they want to happen. And if they see it as true, they force it onto other people. The kingdom of God is different. See, the kingdom of God moves forward with love, with mercy. It's a provider of hope. You see, interestingly, Jesus' words in John 19, 10 to 11, are recognition that Pilate, or Rome, has authority over him. You see, it says this, Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realise that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus said to him, You would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. 
So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So you see, even the powers of this world have their place within the providence of God. Even if they are advocates of violence, even if they are advocates of abuse, and that is really hard to, to swallow and to, to understand as Christians. Because I think sometimes we need to get out of the bubble that we sometimes create when we are very introverted with our mission, um, the way that we do church. When it's inward facing, we, we create a bubble for ourselves. That actually we fail to look at the state, you know, you look at the state of the world and then you look at scripture and you think, you know, where, where is God in this? Where is God in Sudan? Where is God in these worn torn countries? And what Jesus is saying is that you do not realize that you have no power. The powers of this world, the kingdoms of this world have no power unless it's given to them. Now, that's quite a shocking thing, you know. But within God's plan, within God's grand narrative and um, Revelation 21, the, the new heavens and the new earth, like that's, that's the end. When the new heavens and the new earth come, justice will prevail. These people who are, who are forcing themselves on other people through, through an abuse of, of their power and authority will be held accountable. And I think, I think Jesus knew this. I think Jesus knew that ultimately these people will be held accountable. Jesus' death and resurrection are a victory over the powers of this world. And we need to remember that. You know, in the meantime, before the new heavens and the new earth come, in the meantime, that doesn't mean we've got, just got to sit back, we can relax, we can have our nice free tea and coffee every Sunday morning. Um, have someone talk us to sleep for half an hour, that sort of stuff. But we are to be witnesses of the truth. We are to be witnesses of the kingdom of God. We are to reflect God's way back into the world. Where you are. With the personality that you've got. With the, the, the weaknesses that you have. Right? God doesn't call you out of those things and transform you into a wonderful amazing, completely sinless person because there's only one sinless person. God calls you as you are to reflect his kingdom back into the world. See, I tell you what, when Pilate says, what is truth? It's such a profound question for our time, you know. What is truth? What is truth? I think we can, we can make truth, we can trust things and deem things reliable and trustworthy that, that just simply shouldn't be. You know, I've, um, I mean, my, te- my testimony of coming to faith is that, um, and I think most, most of you are aware, but I basically, um, I had quite, I had a quite a big uh, drug problem when I was younger. Um, I was involved in a lot of different crime, a lot of different, uh, I was I was a naughty boy, basically. Um, and you see, in the time when I didn't... Jesus wasn't a reference point for me. I knew nothing of the Bible. I had been to church probably once because for some reason my, all the 
people in my family got christened, so we used to you know, put on a suit, go to church. So I knew nothing about church, knew nothing about the gospel, didn't know anything about the Bible. See, but what I built my life on, I believed to be reliable and true, you see? And, it's, and I think we, we, we do that with stuff in our life. We, we, we allow things to, have a, a, to be foundation stones of our life. And the truth is, there's only one foundation stone. And as we grow, as we, we live in community together, as we gather together as God's people... You know, we are to direct one another lovingly, again, whilst reflecting the kingdom, to Jesus as the foundation of our life. John 17, 13 to 19 says this. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus praying for his people, us, defines truth as God's word. Make them holy by your truth. John seventeen seventeen. Teach them your word, which is truth. Now, I just want to give a really brief overview of something that I, I believe just needs more time given to it. You see, the word, word, or the concept of word within the Bible, as we looked at in John 1 with the Logos, is a strand that runs fr- from creation, God created by his word, the universe. It runs right through the Old Testament, And it is something that I think we need to have a really deep and broad understanding of. You see, when we think of the word, you see, when when someone says to you the word of God, we, we tend to just assume that, you know, that's the Bible, right? Which is true, the word of God. Now, within the Hebrew understanding of the word, word, the word was both an active event, as in creation, and a hidden object within the tabernacle in 1 Kings 8-9. So that the, the, um, the tablets were, were hidden, were in the tabernacle. They were, you know, so, you know, they were a physical thing. As God's active word, it was brought to life through the prophets. So the beginning of the minor prophets, so um, Joel and Jonah and people like that, it says that the word of the Lord came to you know, the prophets brought God's word to life. It was prophetic in the truest sense. So God's word is prophetic. As the law, it was, um, it was present in the place where God revealed himself to man in Numbers 9, um, 15 to 23, where the glory fills the temple. God revealed himself um, where the word was present. The word became flesh, John 1, 14. 
Jesus is the word in human form. He enters into human existence. So Jesus is both the active word and the dwelling place of God, both at the same time. So you see, with this brief run-through, we can see that the word appears in three forms. Jesus as the word, the word became flesh. So Jesus is the fully realised version of God's word. We see the scriptures as the word in the tabernacle, the law. And we see the word was in proclamation. So the prophets spoke the word of God. So there are three forms of the word. So you see, God's word isn't just something that we read. But God's word is something that is brought to life when we sing, when we pray, when we we share the gospel. You see, God's word is something that is trustworthy and reliable and, and we can build upon. We can rest our life upon it. You see, sometimes what tends to happen is we, we, love the procl- we, we love the proclamation of the word. We love the singing, like we really connect and meet with God through that and we, we love to pray. But when it comes to reading the Bible, it's a bit like, hmm. Oh, it's a bit boring. I'll put it down. And actually, if we, f- we flip that on its head, like if we allow the Bible to play a central foundational role in the way that we gather as community, in the way that we gather as God's people, as truth, if we allow it to be truth, we allow, it, we allow like Luke, um, Luke 4, where he talks about the announcement of the kingdom. If we allow these things to be truth, I think, you know, we will be in a place where we can reflect the truth of the gospel to other people. You see, whilst we're here on earth, we're, we are to live within the word of God as our standard of truth. You know, there are some words that we don't really like to talk about in church anymore. See, I'm quite, see, I'm quite traditional um, with church. I like having Bibles out. I like, um, you know, I like singing hymns. And sometimes we get in a place where we, instead of allowing the Bible to be central to our, to our understanding of the Christian faith, it kind of gets pushed aside a bit. So we, we tend to sing more songs or we do other stuff. And then when it gets to the sermon, it's a bit like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this one without falling asleep? Um, you know, so this sense of gathering around the word has been lost, in my opinion. And I would just love to see, right, as the word as central to church, if the word is truth, in all its forms, if the word is truth, right, then we have a duty to one another to be discipling each other in a way that scripture is the foundation. Scripture is the place where we're bringing people back to. If, some, if you see someone kind of going astray or, you know, doing something in life, it's, you know, I, you can pray for them, but how we are drawing each other to scripture, how we are drawing each other to the truth of God's word, I think is... A big part of doing church. So with that broader understanding of the word. In um, 
what I've just run through. You know, we are to live by listening and being the truth of Christ, the word. Amongst all the pain, all the suffering, all the injustice that we see, all the broken relationships that we might have, you know, all the, all the weaknesses that we might feel we've got, all the, you know, all the sin that might be in our life. We are to be kingdom people. We are to be people who reflect the kingdom of God. We, it is not about us. Salvation um, brings us to a place that by faith, through the spirit, we can reflect God's kingdom onto other people. And it's not about us. It's not about how well we can maintain ourselves and how well we can uh, you know, pray before other people or sing before other people. But it's about how we are drawing each other to the truth, the word of God. You know, it's by God's grace that we have been called into that purpose. And it's by his grace that we are able to be carriers of the truth. And Peter, as we saw at the beginning, in his betrayal, in his turning back on Jesus, serves as an encouragement to us all, really. You know, Jesus sees beyond our capabilities or incapabilities. Jesus sees beyond our weakness. He sees beyond the sin. Right? And he calls you anyway. He calls us anyway. And, you know, I've, see, when I became, I became a Christian, and, you know, I, so I lived in uh, South Norwood at the time, became a Christian, had to stop all the stuff that I was doing, had to, like, draw a line, and um, I literally did, I didn't know what to do. So I started picking up rubbish in Croydon, because I thought, I thought that was a nice thing to do. Um, Heidi wasn't that impressed uh, when I was just off picking up rubbish. Um, but my, my foundation of life right, shifted from something that I had control of and that I, could, um, you know, that I gave value to, that I, gave, I had the authority to do it. Just like you know, the Roman Empire, the way that they established their kingdom and the way that kingdoms have been established ever since... You know, we don't get to define, we do not get to define the truth because the truth is defined in God's word. The truth is defined in Jesus. 1 Peter 1, to 25 says this. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. Right? So that's us. So if you're saved, if you believe in Jesus as your saviour, um, through faith, you've been cleansed from your sin. When you obeyed the truth, when you heard the gospel, the gospel is truth. So now that you must show sincere love to one another, your brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. So understood with that broader definition of the word, the word is Jesus, the word is scripture, and the word is Christian proclamation. You see, when we sing songs, when we, when we preach the word, when we gather around the word at life group or when we pray for one another or when we read the word at home, 
That's the truth. That is the good news for your life. That's Peter right in those verses. The one who turned his back on Jesus. The one who, who denied the truth. And I think that serves as an encouragement to us all. And I don't want to talk... To, I, I purposely not... I've, I've stayed in the, the trial of Jesus because I haven't wanted to take anything away from the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because ultimately what's going on here... This dialogue between Jesus and Pilate is that, that Jesus' kingdom is, is having a victory over, Pilate, over the Roman Empire. It might not have been seen by him, but his death and resurrection claims victory over all kingdoms. And as we reflect that kingdom, like I said earlier, as we reflect that kingdom back into the world, we're reflecting the victory of Christ to other people. And it might not mean that we're kind of, we've got this, we've got the sharing of the gospel down to like a, down to a good practice where we've got all the points of the gospel shared to people. You know, yeah, that's, that's amazing and that's great. But actually, evangelism and mission is about reflecting the kingdom to other people. So it's seen, seen in our lives, you know. And I'll leave it there uh, today. Um, you know, and whilst the religious and governing authorities rejected Jesus and his kingdom and maybe you know you look at Peter and you look at the way he rejected Jesus and maybe you you think to yourself that maybe there are ways that you've rejected the truth you know you've rejected or you've substituted God's word as the foundation of your life for something that is is it doesn't hold up it's fake it doesn't doesn't last the distance you know because anything other than the word crumbles when we build our lives on, on other stuff, on money, on, on power, on, on, on anything, it, it doesn't hold up to the word. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we can um, finish there. Yeah. Father God, Father, Son, and Spirit, I thank you that you are the truth. That your word is truth, Lord. That as we carry your word, as we reflect and um, try and understand your word, Lord, that we are a part of your kingdom. And as we share with other people, as we live in a way that, that honors you, that is worthy of the gospel, Lord, I pray that we draw people to you and draw people to your word. I just thank you for this time we've spent together, Lord. Um, I pray that you just encourage those who need encouraging. Um, get alongside those who need it, Lord. Lift up the weak, Father. Help us as a community of your people to, to get around each other, Lord, in love. To push one another on, Lord. Help us to be people of your kingdom. People of the, the, the message of liberation, of freedom, Father. Help us to walk in that. In the name of Jesus. Amen.